Please be seated. I wanted to take just a moment before um, the homily to, to introduce, actually maybe for the first time to some of you, introduce uh, our preacher for the day, Mr. James Wilson. Uh, James has been a seminarian here for basically for the past year, but with COVID, people in and out will start, will stop, will come back. Not everybody's had a chance to get to meet him in person. Uh, in fact, I think his seminarian tenure ended a couple weeks ago, but I still ask him to come back one more time and preach uh, because he's a really good preacher. And I appreciate that. I said this morning at the uh, early service, I, preach, I appreciate it except on the Mondays after he preaches when people like you email me to tell me how good his sermon was, uh, maybe you're emailing other people on the day after I preach, but I appreciate James a lot. Uh, James will be going to, um, to Cambridge uh, in, a, in the UK in a couple of weeks to begin PhD studies, but it's been a delight to have him here, to become a friend, and to send him out as a son of this parish uh, into the world, and to have him preach the gospel to us today, which he does every time. So, James, thank you. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, we notice that the line from uh, today's reading in the epistle of James doesn't say that mercy is, is preferable to judgment. It doesn't say that our judgments need to be tempered by mercy. It clearly states here in today's reading that mercy triumphs over judgment. And uh, today I want to focus on this one line um, because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a line that cuts to the very core of the Christian gospel. It's wisdom, it's newness and its transformative truth and really its perennial relevance um, uh, throughout time and into our current moment. Um, in many ways, the, the very grammar of the sentence dramatizes the gospel as it's the mercy of Christ which triumphs over the judgment of the crowd which demands his innocent death. And, and my question here today for, for all of you and, and myself included is, is do, we, do we really believe this? Do we really believe this? Um, do we trust that uh, mercy triumphs over judgment? Um, I, I've spent a lot of time in, in churches and seminaries over the years and over my, over my studies, and uh, I've noticed that regardless of denomination, socioeconomic status, or political affiliation, we don't always, as Christians, seem to have faith in this really central core claim. Uh, for most of us, myself included, we may say mercy is fine, necessary when it works, um, but with this particular group of people or this person or this situation, mercy isn't quite cutting it, and we have to fall back on the law of judgment. And, and, and I, I, I get it in the day-to-day -day trenches of my life. Uh, judgment uh, and self-righteous indignation come so much more naturally to us than mercy. And when sin stops being some abstraction and, and it's the real ugliness of, of human deceit and greed and selfishness rears its head in our lives, our knee-jerk reaction to judgment is profound. It's the, 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 the need for um, judgment is, is baked into our bones as human beings. And, and if 
if I'm being honest with myself, uh, it sometimes judgment feels really good. Um, has anybody ever left a mean comment on YouTube late at night? Sometimes you get that little warm, fuzzy feeling, getting to be mean on the internet. Or have you ever picked a political fight with someone on Facebook? It's always a nice little uh, you know, hook, hook, line, and sinker getting drawn into those things. But you, know, you might be laying in your bed in the darkness in your flannel jammies, but in your mind, you're, you might as well be giving a speech before the Roman Senate. You know, there's something, there's something very aggrandizing about this uh, righteous indignation and the need to condemn, the need to call out, the need to judge. And it's, it's very real. And this is how the world works. The world doesn't work by mercy triumphing over judgment. Um, and so I, I just want us to just sit with the strangeness of this claim and, and, and remember that it's strange. And it's, uh, it's uh, the, the, the Christian claim on our hearts and on reality is as profoundly revolutionary now as it was 2,000 years ago in every one of our hearts because this is not how the world works. Um, and so, you know, the, and, and Christians aren't always known for this. Christians aren't always known for forgiving 70 times seven, as Christ says, is how many times we should forgive our neighbor. Really grace-centered churches I've worked at, you get three strikes, and then you're out. Um, one Presbyterian church, you got one strike. Um, sorry, I pick on the Presbyterians. It's a church joke, sorry. They weren't funny in seminary, and they're still not funny now, but oh well. Um, but I think this is, this is so important because, we're, because Christians aren't, aren't known for this. In the, in the zeitgeist of the, of the culture, religion is known to be the ground zero and source of our self-righteous judgments and condemnations. I don't think that's always true, but this is how a lot of the world sees people in churches, that if we could just, you know, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a world out there that sees if we could just abandon all of these religions, if we could abandon all these old rules and their weird moralisms, then we would move into a future of no judgment, no guilt, and no condemnation. Um, I call this the John Lennon theory of history. Um, and uh, it's, a, uh, it's the belief that the, we're all going to become more secular, uh, more happy, and uh, more free, and eventually we'll all float off into eternity on a puffy cloud of our mutual self-acceptance. Um, you may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Um, but as we're noticing in this world, this is that John Lennon could not have been more wrong about, uh, about history and the human heart and where this whole thing is heading. Um, because we do live in an increasingly secularizing world, but it is not a world that is finding itself uh, raptured in justice or peace, and we're certainly not living as one. Um, it seems that we're um, moving into... Uh, arenas of polarization and accusation in ways that certainly haven't been the case in my lifetime. Um, and, uh, there's a great, there was a great article in The Atlantic recently by uh, Peter Beinhart. Um, it's called Breaking Faith. You all should look it up uh, when you get home. It's a great article. But um, where he diagnoses this burgeoning situation that we're experiencing in, in this country in particular. And Beinhart writes that though the battle over religious culture may have largely faded in the U.S., it is possible that what is arriving to replace it could be much worse. Though many Americans may be leaving organized religion, they have not stopped viewing the public realm as a life or death struggle between us and them. In fact, many have come to define us and them in more primal and even more irreconcilable ways. 
we find ourselves increasingly inhabiting a world where personal loneliness and private resentment is spilling over into the public sphere as a demand for vengeance. We're not quite sure of what we believe or who we should be following, but we're becoming increasingly dead sure of who our enemies are. And today I want to, um, to, 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 to look at this epistle of James and how it can speak into this broader cultural moment that we're experiencing. But in order to do that, I think we need to move from this sort of bird's eye view of politics and culture and history, and we have to move right to the ground center of the human heart and the gospel diagnosis of the human heart. Because it's precisely in the inner depths of the human heart is where good and evil reside. Good and evil's not out there somewhere. Good and evil's right here, you know, right here standing before you. Um, and it's uh, in the depths, the hidden depths of each human heart. Jesus is always after the inner man. You notice that when you read the gospel? He's really not interested in what's happening up on the surface. He's interested in what's happening in our depths. And it's in this place, in our inner depths, where the gospel will always speak and it will always find fertile ground for its truth and its transformative power. And the gospel diagnosis of the human heart since Adam and Eve ate the apple, um, is that whether you're a religious heart or a secular heart, even a Presbyterian heart, a liberal heart or a conservative heart, Jewish heart or Gentile heart, all of us are, as human beings, baked into our DNA is the desire for self-justification. And what do I mean by this? By self-justification is we are all, every one of us, mea culpa, I'm, I'm you know, chief among sinners, as Paul says, uh, addicted to narratives of our own righteousness. We're addicted to narratives that see ourselves as separate, that see ourselves as superior, that ward off judgment. And because we're addicted to justifying ourselves, we end up becoming addicted to condemnation as well, because there needs to be a them to justify the us. I mean, have you noticed this at political rallies? Somebody else would be saying, politician will say something positive and everybody kind of claps. Another thing positive, everybody claps a little bit and then he says, and then we're going to go get so-and-so and the crowd roars, <laughs> you know? It's the them that justifies the us. This is baked into us as human beings. Um, and it's not that these self-justifying narratives are evil in and of themselves. The, the problem that Jesus repeatedly points out in the Gospels is that they're just not true. That they're not true, that so many times our perfect, clean stories that justify ourselves and our visions of the world don't serve reality, but often serve our own uh, the hidden, hidden agenda of our egos. I know we notice in, this in our neighbors, but do we notice this in ourselves, right? Do we notice this in ourselves? And so often, this diagnosis of the human heart is, is, is strange and can be scary, but the more I live, the more I deeply believe it's true, that it's precisely in those deep parts of our hearts where we get the urge to condemn, is precisely those hidden areas of our heart where we're scared of being found out, where we're scared of being discovered. Um, I think every, everyone I know has a part of their hearts where they're really afraid of being found out for who they really are. Um, and I think that's the, the place in your heart where you feel most alone is I think all of us share in that place in some way. And this is really counterintuitive and true, but it's a lot of times condemnation can be used to cover over as a mask of some place where we feel 
like we're afraid of being discovered in ourselves. Um, a, a great image of the hiddenness of the human heart was uh, articulated by one of my, my favorite authors named Tim Crider. He's an essayist and a cartoonist, and he has a really foul mouth, so I, I wouldn't uh, rec recommend him as bedtime catechism for your children. Um, but, uh, but he's incredibly honest and often has brilliant insight. And in one of his essays, Kreider talks about one of the constant threats of email culture, uh, which he calls the apocalyptic consequence of accidentally hitting reply all instead of reply. I don't know if anybody's ever, I mean, I'm sure you all have. I have. I'm really bad at computers. I have these problems on a weekly basis where I, you have this moment of terror. Did I hit reply all instead of reply? Did everybody get what I just said? But Kreider writes in this essay, he says, I've often thought that the single most devastating cyber attack an anarchic mind could devise would not be against the government or military or the financial sector, but it would be to simply make every email and every text ever sent universally public. It would be like suddenly subtracting the nuclear force from the universe. The fabric of society would instantly disintegrate, every marriage, friendship, and business partnership dissolved, civilization held together by a fragile web of tactful phrasing, polite omissions and benign lies would self-destruct in a universal holocaust of bitter recriminations, weeping, breakups, fistfights, divorces, bankruptcies, scandals, resignations, blood feuds, and wholesale slaughter in the streets. I thought it was funny. I guess it's a little too honest to that funny. But, I, I, but honestly, I mean, I think about, the, I mean, th th take, take your own life. What would it mean for all of, all of our emails and all of our texts to all of a sudden be universally made public? What would it mean if the inner depths of our hearts, the shadowy parts of our hearts, the places where we're afraid to be found out, the parts of us that need to judge others, what if this was all brought to light? Um, it's, it's a scary thing to think about. Um, and it's, uh, it's, I, and I bring this, I, I, I'm sorry, one second. Um, would this reality not in some ways shatter the self-righteous stories that we have about ourselves, that we need to tell about ourselves? Would it not temper our demand to judge our enemies that we think we know so well? Would our stories of us and them be exposed to be not as real as we thought they were? In the inner depths of our hearts, what if there is no us and them? but there's only us under the eyes of mercy and under the eyes of God. Because, because Christ, Christ is the cosmic reply all button for all of reality and all of time. Every stone will be unturned. What is whispered in the shadows will be proclaimed from the housetops. This is what we say in the collect every, every day and it's part of our liturgy, the God for whom all hearts are open, all desires are known, no secrets are hid, not even that secret you'd think nobody knows, God knows, and Christ is coming to expose this. And the, so Christ is this cosmic reply all button for us, but instead of, instead of the earthly, worldly death of judgment, we are met by the divine life of infinite mercy. This is the greatest story ever told, and I believe it's true. It's true in my heart, and I believe it's true for reality. Because the truth about condemnation is you think you're getting closer to the truth when you're making it. At least I know I do. You call somebody out, you know, I'm going to, this is the truth, this is the reality, I'm giving you the hard truth. 
You know, every time, uh, every time someone tells you they're going to speak the truth with love, they think they're quoting Paul, but run for the hills. Um, it usually means I'm about to judge you. I'm about to come down on you. Um, it's, and it's, it's, so what ends up happening is we condemn, and then the other people respond by hiding their inner life even more, by bolstering up their own self-justifying narrative of their own righteousness in defense against the accusation. And we end up getting further and further from reality until we're involved in absolute collusion that has nothing to do with the actual reality that's animating the inner depths of our hearts, which is where the gospel's trying to reach us. And the, the gift of mercy is that it allows us to move into the liberated life of the truth. It allows the truth to rise to the surface in our hearts, in our relationships, in our politics, and in our world. And I really believe Christ when he says that, he, that grace can fulfill the law in the way the law can't fulfill its, the judgment can't fulfill the law in the way grace fulfills the law. It still has the power to change all things. Um, and I know in my own life, I don't know if this is true in your life, but think about the times you really changed. You really changed. You know, it's hard with change because it gets so, I had, there's a, there was a comic strip, uh, it was a picture of a, it was a far side comic was a husband and a wife, and they were sitting across the table from each other, and the, the husband looks at his wife and he says, honey, I, I can't promise you I'll change, but I can promise I'll pretend to change. Um, so change can sometimes have that kind of vibe. We can, but I'm talking about times where you were really transformed, not pretending to change, but really transformed. And was it when you were condemned? Was it when you were accused? Or was it when you were forgiven, when you knew in your heart you didn't deserve it? And so I just, uh, I believe that this, uh, that this message from James today, under this life, the Christian life is revealed as both radical, profound, and perennially strange, and yet startlingly simple. And as Paul writes, he says, forgive one another as you have been forgiven. As Christ says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment now and at the end of days. Amen.